Today I'll be reading Ezra chapter 5, verse 12. Ezra chapter 5, verse 12. But after that our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, a Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come before your word today uh, with fear and trembling. For we are all too aware that we come up short, that we cannot meet your holy standard. Lord, we also know that your word tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ has made a way for our sins to be forgiven, that when you look at us, Lord, that you see your righteous Son, Jesus, that we have put on Christ, that we are being made new. We pray this morning that the power of your word and the power of your spirit will wash over us that it will transform us, that it will change us, that it will make us more and more like our Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We pray for it to be effectual today in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I think I may have shared this before, but our family has this little liturgy as we're headed home from Sunday worship. It is often in the car. It is sometimes at the house before others arrive. But I ask my family, I say, what was the point of today's sermon? And my children, who are a lot like me, will often try to come up with a funny answer to buy time while they think of the real answer. So there are a couple standard answers that are, we call them like old school family worship answers, sin, Moses, Jesus, some of the others. But some time ago, we discovered a video on YouTube. You may have heard of YouTube. It's called The Honest Preacher. I'm not sure I can fully recommend it, but you should probably see it if you haven't. But this last week after the sermon, when I asked my children, what was the point? I got a response that was the summation of the honest preacher, the three points to his sermon were stop being bad, number two, you're supposed to be good, and number three, don't be jerks. And that's actually a fair summary of last week's sermon as we talked about our history as American Presbyterians. We rehearsed some of the sins of our fathers. This week it's going to be a little different. Same passage, same concept. But today we are going to be rehearsing the sins of all of our fathers. The church at large and even our culture. As we do this, there are always these questions. I don't know that I've ever completely settled on the answer to the questions other than by saying that both are true. But when we look at these kind of things, we have to ask ourselves, is it the culture that is influencing the church? 
Or should the church culture be influencing the culture at large? As I said, I believe it is both. And I believe we see in the Israelites in our passage that before they were in Babylon, they had adopted the idol worship and the practices of the surrounding culture. Which brings us back to the question, how does that happen? There are some passages that give us indications on what their sin was. And I believe we will see that the idol worship and the pagan practices are symptoms. They are symptoms that flow from their sin. So I want to look at a couple different passages. There are, there are three things that I believe that they are guilty of. If you will turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9, I want to read verse 26. Now it is speaking specifically about the people who came out of Egypt but then later in the passage, it applies it to all of Israel's history. And Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 26 says, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee, speaking of God, and cast thy law behind their backs. That's number one. They cast God's law behind their back and slew thy prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee. They slew the prophets, that's number two, who testified against them. The basic message of the prophets was, turn back to God's word. And for some of them, it cost them their life. You don't have to turn there with me, but in Second Chronicles we see that because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that's the third thing, that they became idol worshipers, that they worshipped false gods. This is how the Israelites provoked the God of heaven. They turned their back on God's law. They silenced the prophets. And then flowing from that, they worshipped false idols. I'm going to confess to you today I am very much relating to the prophet Jeremiah. I am feeling the weight of standing here today. And Jeremiah in chapter 7 of his book, he says this, But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk you in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil hearts and went backwards and not forward. 
Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all, the ser- all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their necks. And they did worse than their fathers before them. You see, this is a pattern in Israel. Instead of turning again and again to God's law, they walked in the counsel of their own evil hearts. Instead of listening to the pleading of the prophets, they walked in the counsel of their evil hearts. And they descend down into the death spiral that is idol worship. I think it is clear that at least for the church in the West, we are in such a spiral. I heard somebody refer to it as the great unraveling. You can just pick out a few of the headlines from the last couple days. We have the Pope declaring capital punishment to be immoral, contrary to God's clear commands beginning in Genesis chapter 9. We had a very public the middle of office, a very public stepping down by the entire elder board of Willow Creek Church. The announcement was made by the lead elder, whose name is Heather. And then as we draw this in closer to home, All of us Presbyterians have to wonder what happened in the PCA that allowed them to host the Revoice Conference, which embraced Christian homosexuals. This conference was attended by many of the professors from their seminary. And I am sad to report there was not a single stool thrown in that conference. We even have those who were a part of that conference who are arguing for abominations beyond sodomy. And we have to scratch our heads and we have to think, how did we get here? I am not all-knowing So what I say is from a human perspective, but it appears to me that this sin of homosexuality is, well, if not the biggest issue we're facing in the church today, it's one of the biggest issues. And again, I believe it is downstream from the real issue. And I can tell you that I am not an expert in church history, but I cannot recall or find a time in church history in which the sin of homosexuality was openly embraced by the church.
And we have to ask, how did we get here? And it is easy for us to shake our heads and say, how did the PCA fall that far? I believe it is the pattern that we have already talked about. That we are like our fathers. And that when we turn our back on God's law, when we silence the prophets who tell us to turn back to God's law, this is what we can expect. I suspect that we as a congregation are guilty of pride. That we have read these headlines and we have read the stories and we have listened to the podcast and we have wondered how they could do this. And as I have said before, whenever we see somebody who is doing something stupid in Scriptures or in the world around us, we need to check for the beam, for the log that is in our own eye and say, how are we guilty of the same thing? I believe that God's Word is plain. I believe it is simple. I believe it is easy to understand. I believe there are very clear, simple, easy statements in Scriptures that all of us have avoided or sidestepped or ignored. I want to take you back to the very beginning. Because I actually think this is where we missed the mark. This is where the judgment of homosexuality started. This was the incubator. In Genesis chapter 1, we read, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This seems pretty straightforward to me. He created male and female, after his own image. And he blessed them in that creation. They were blessed as men and they were blessed as women. Males could not fully express the glory of God, neither could females fully express the glory of God, but he needed to create both male and female to give us a full-orbed view of his image. And it says God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over everything. 
Two things. Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over everything. We see these same promises. We see the same blessing through all of Scripture. We see that the union of male and female is to be blessed with fruit. It is to be blessed with a godly seed. That our descendants should be numbered as the stars in heaven and as the sands on the seashore. When Abraham was speaking, or when God was speaking to Abraham, he added a little something extra to that blessing, and he said that through those multiple descendants, that all the families of the earth would be blessed. God created us very specifically male and female, and he gave us two things to do. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and have dominion. I think we have not always set our priorities by these two early commands. I believe God's people including the Presbyterians and including the Presbyterians in this room, have not always considered this passage as a high priority in our life. I'm not saying that we in high-handed rebellion have walked away from these commands. But I wonder sometime if we consider that we are really blessed as male and female. And that we are really blessed when we are fruitful and multiply. And that we are really blessed when we are called to take dominion. We sing some of the psalms, and we can memorize some of them. And I know in the history of Providence Church, Psalm 127 has been fairly prominent. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. We all know this passage. Then it says, happy is the man that, had his, that has his quiver full of them. And I wonder, I wonder if we still believe that. When we Stop focusing on God's clear commands in His words. When he, when he explains to us very plainly that He created us male and female, that means we're different. When He blesses us as male and female, it means He blesses us in different ways. When He tells us that He blesses us by multiplying us, it's true. And when he tells us that we will be blessed by taking dominion over everything, it is also true. So how do we get to a church that is embracing homosexuality? How do we go from created them male and female and blessed them to all manner of male and female abominations. 
I think when we address this topic, I think we have to go to Romans chapter 1. And it is a bit of a lengthy reading, but I think it is worth us going through. So if you want to turn there with me now, Romans chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 16. I'm starting at verse 16 because Paul roots this argument or this explanation starting in verse 18. He roots it in the power of the gospel. He roots it in faith. And he starts out by declaring, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You and I have been given the faith to believe God's promises, to believe the gospel to believe the power of the gospel. Included in that power is what follows. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Do you notice that in our passage in Ezra, they say that our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath is the same language that is being used here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they were our excuse. You see this creation language. God says that there are truths about him that are clearly seen in the things that are made. And he made them male and female, and he blessed them. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, and became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I think it hinges right here. As God reveals himself to us through his creation and through his gospel, through his son Jesus Christ, and through the word to which we've been given, the problem is we do not glorify God as God, neither are we thankful. This is where we run off the rails. God created us male and female in His image and blessed them. And we as males and we as females fail to glorify God in that role and we fail to be thankful to Him for it. It says, because we are not thankful, we became vain in our imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. This is what happens when you step away from God's Word, and you walk after the vain imaginations and the evilness of your heart.
And they changed the glory of the corruptible, uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. Do you see what happens here? When we step away from God's Word, when we fail to glorify God as God, and when we fail in our thanksgiving and our praise to Him for His created order, we become fools. And instead of worshiping the God of heaven and earth, the one who made us, and the one who has poured out his grace upon us, that we begin to worship man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, it says. We descend into idol worship. And idol worship leads to death. And like the Israelites in Ezra, when they went a-whoring after other gods, the God of heaven said, okay, I will give you what you want. And he tore down their temple, and he carried them off to Babylon. And they lived in a land of idol worshipers. I have not seen Nebuchadnezzar or his armies. But I have to tell you that there are times when I feel like we are right smack dab in the middle of Babylon and I wonder, how did we get here? The rest of the passage goes on to tell us that idol worshipers, as they descend into their debauchery, they commit unspeakable acts. They show in their actions that they do not glorify God. They show in their actions that they are not thankful for being created in the image of God. Their foolishness is hard to imagine. tells us that God gives them over to a reprobate mind. That when they don't want to retain God in their knowledge, He gives them all of man's wisdom that they can stomach. professing themselves to be wise, they begin to worship the creation instead of the Creator. And as they continue on their spiral, spiral, spiral sorry, I can't talk, they descend lower than the animals. Wait a minute, Evans. We at Providence Church are not arguing for Christian homosexuals. 
We are not arguing that homosexuality is okay. Why are we talking about this? We're solid on this one, right? I want to take you back. to Genesis chapter 1, where it said, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. As I said earlier, there are some things here I believe we have lost sight of. We do not set our priorities according to this mandate. The men in our congregation. Is this how you are thinking? Are you thankful that you were created a male? Are you thankful that God called you to be fruitful and to take dominion? As you sit by your table with those smiling faces, and maybe some of them not so smiling faces, do you see this as God's blessing? Or are you wondering, how did I get here and who did I make mad? Brothers, as you're leading your household, as you're thinking about the way you provide for your family, are you thinking about God's call on your life, that area where you are supposed to be taking dominion? Do you know what that is? Or are you asking the question? Or did you not even know it was a question? Well, I I do this thing because they hired me. And this is what I do. But see, it's not just about you. Because just a little later in the book of Genesis, what we see is that the woman that you have or that you're going to have, the wife, the gift that God is giving you, has been uniquely wired to serve you as you take dominion. And as you are considering the call on your life, you have to consider the call on your wife. How is my taking dominion utilizing the most precious gift God has given me on earth? My wife. How are we doing this together. It says right there in Genesis that male and female are to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. That's for both males and females. Are we thankful for the, God, for the role that God has given us? Or are we avoiding it? Are we trying to find satisfaction somewhere else? Scripture tells us that we are to rejoice in the wife of our youth. We are to rejoice in our wife. 
It's an amazing gift that God has given us men. Why is it that we are prone to rejoice in the wife of somebody else's youth? We are short-tempered with our own wife. And yet somebody else's wife catches our attention. When we are told to take dominion, to seek first the kingdom, that is a high priority for us. Why is it that we spend so much time not pursuing that? Why is it that we pursue idols and escapism? Why do we get lost in a million other things instead of pursuing that calling? Ladies, you're not off the hook either. The passage in Genesis tells us to be fruitful and to take dominion. That goes for you too. How is your attitude with God? Are you thankful to Him that He has made you a female, uniquely female, and called you to be a female? Later in Genesis, it tells us that the wives are wired up specifically and uniquely to help a specific man. Do you think like that? Do you look at your husband and say, praise the Lord that you gave him to me so that I can enter into his work and the two of us together, with the gifts that he has given both of us, we labor together for the Lord, for his kingdom. Do you get a little angry? when you read the passage that says you are to submit to your own husband. Or how about you are to reverence or respect your husband. Same problem that the men have, right? Are we thankful for those God-given roles and duties that we have? Or do we ignore them? Are we unaware of them? Have we walked away from them? Seeking satisfaction somewhere other than being created in the image of God as a female. Guys tend to want to escape. Ladies become discontented. I can't say I blame them most of the time. We men are not very respectable. We are often failing in our leadership. We cause our wives to seek their fulfillment somewhere other than it's supposed to be. I could run through the list for the young men and the young women 
just quickly, young men and young women, do you even think along these terms? What is it that God has called my mom and my dad to do? What is it that God has called my family to do? Do we even ask this question? Or do we go out looking for a job because this is something that we really want to do? Do we even think along these lines? Same for the young ladies. You know, men, women, young men, young women, children. The Lord tells us that we are to lay down our lives. All right? This is like your, your internal dreams and desires. I'm going to speak completely contrary to what the world's telling you, all right? Because Jesus calls us to lay down our life. He calls us to serve. And Scripture after Scripture tells us to serve. Do you know what? When you are in a marriage relationship with that man or that woman that is created in the image of God and that God blesses in that creation... Being fruitful and multiplying is hard, stinking work. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Because they're selling something. And it is exactly what God told us to do from the very beginning. We lay down our lives for those who come after us. For the weak among us. The least of these, our brethren. And as we have a covenantal understanding, we should be the first ones to argue this. These little ones in and amongst us are God's people, and we are here to serve them. The same goes for taking dominion. It's hard work. It's going to require that you lay down your life, that you take up your cross, that you serve. I may have said this before from the pulpit. I'm going to say it again. I'll probably say it again and again. If you want to know how you are doing being a servant, check your attitude when somebody treats you like one. Do you get that? If you want to know how well you're doing with your servant attitude, check your attitude when somebody treats you like a servant. This is where it starts. When we begin to grumble about the assignments that God has given us, we turn from God's Word and we start to move towards what? Our vain imaginations and our evil hearts. And that, my friends, is a very dangerous place. So are we thinking about God's call on our life? What is the work he has called us to do? We need to be thinking about that as a congregation. You need to be thinking about that as a family, not only mom and dad, but the kids as well. How do we labor together for the Lord? I want to focus on children here for just a second. I don't want to go long. God's Word tells us very plainly, children are a blessing. Amen? They are the fruit of a godly marriage. 
Do we still believe that? Or do we believe the world's lies that, you know, having a big family is it's just really not what it's done. It's hard on the environment. It's hard on mom and dad. It's hard on those around them. Do we still believe that God opens and closes the womb? Or have we taken that upon ourselves? Have we thought, we have enough kids, we need to take a little break? I want to tell you that this this is not the way scriptures speak. When Rebecca is getting ready to go away with Isaac, and her family comes around, and they're sending her off, the mindset is not be blessed, have a nice house, have a nice life. Don't get too bogged down in that God stuff. Have 2.2 children. Actually, we're not doing that anymore. We're not sustaining ourselves. It says, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions. I think that's the biggest number we see in all of Scripture. Thousands of millions. And let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. Sounds a little bit like be fruitful and multiply, doesn't it? And take dominion. Maybe we would believe our children are blessings if we would stop listening to the world on how to raise them. Some of the ungodly, worldly advice I hear floating around in Christian circles on how to raise children, I believe borders on abuse. We are called, male and female, to nurture our children, to comfort our children. You and I are here to display the love of the Father to our children. That's a taller order than husbands love your wife like Christ loves the church. We are to display the love of the Father to our children. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. If you treat your children as a blessing, they'll be a blessing. If you treat them as a chore and as a burden and as a millstone around your neck, guess what? They're going to be a burden and a millstone around your neck. If you tell them constantly to go away, guess what's going to happen? The day will come when they will go away and they won't want to interact with you. Be careful what you ask them to do. So where does all this take us? Right? It takes us back to God's Word. And if there is something here today that has pricked your conscience, that is God's goodness to you and I. And in His goodness, He leads us to repentance. Amen? We are to acknowledge our sin to the Lord who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And His promise is to cleanse us from all unrighteousness 
No qualifiers there. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The Lord rescued the Israelites and brought them back to himself. He can forgive us, right? I would encourage you to pray. Go to the Lord. Cry out to Him. Tell Him what your weaknesses are. Tell Him where you are sinning. Ask Him for help. You cannot do this on your own. I will never ask you to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It doesn't work. It creates Pharisees. You must fall on your face before the Lord and cry out to Him for mercy and grace and faith and strength. And I would encourage you to believe God's Word. All of it. All the way down to all its implications. Trust His promises. I don't know about you, but I'm going with the godly wisdom and not the worldly foolishness. I've seen where it goes. In our story in Ezra, the returned captives begin to stumble and fall, and the Lord sends them prophets. And they tell the people to turn back to God and to His Word. And God in His grace grants them repentance and they turn back to the Lord. Ultimately, I want you to look to the example of Christ and His bride. Trust in the sure Word of the Lord to be our guide for all of life. Look to Jesus and His bride as they build the house. They are our models, right? Jesus as the ultimate male. We can look to Him. We are challenged to love our wives like He loves the church. Wives, you can see yourselves in the church. You know, there's so much, there's so much there. The nurturing, the, the tenderness, the care the diligence, the activity. I think of the Proverbs 31 woman. She's very busy laboring for her man. God gave us clear examples of what our roles look like. We should embrace them by faith. We read this earlier. I'm going to read it again, 2 Timothy 3. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is prof profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. See, the issue of the day is not homosexuality. The issue of the day is the issue throughout the days. It is sola scriptura. The authority and the guidance of the scripture will not let us down. So I encourage you to return to the scriptures. There are a number of areas in our lives that we are falling short of the Scripture standard. And a real quick plug here, I have heard the argument that this particular thing is not spoken of in Scripture. That there is no objective standard for this thing we are talking about. 
I do not believe if God gives us a clear command that he has left us without instructions on how to accomplish it. It is not according to his nature. He tells us he does not leave us to ourselves. He has given us his word to furnish us for all good works. We do not lack instruction. We may lack faith. We may lack diligence. We may just be plain old lazy and not willing to go search it out. But the answers you are looking for are in God's word. We will build God's house on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for your word. Oh Lord, we know we fall short of your holy word. And yet you have given us your spirit. You have changed our heart and you have given us a desire to follow after you and to obey your word and your commands. Lord, as we have prayed so many times, we believe. We ask that you will heal us in our unbelief. Lord, cause us to stand on your word. In Jesus' name, amen.